This is the You Can Learn Chinese podcast. For everyone who's trying to learn Chinese or reaching for the next level, you came to the right place. I am your host, Jared Turner, and I just saw an ad for a coffin and thought, that's the last thing I need. My co-host is John Pazin, and is highly concerned that hypochondria may be a real illness. Some people may find they have a knack for learning Chinese, but deciding to make Chinese a part of your life is another decision entirely. Our guest, Akil Aline, shares his story from learning Chinese in high school to making the move to live and work in China, and the ways it's enriched his life and how he has charted his own course. Let's get to it. Hey guys, this is Jared Turner joining you from Utah in the United States. Hey everybody, I am in Shanghai, China. My name is John Pasden. How you doing? So Jared, today we have an interview and it is with a guy named Akil. And this is actually somebody I met back in 2021. We met up through a friend. We had talks about learning Chinese. He later on participated in an event that I organized, which was a language card games thing. I wrote a blog post about it. We can link to it in the show notes. But anyway, really cool guy. But this time, he didn't actually come to our podcast through me, right? That's right, John. In fact, I was introduced to Akil through a common acquaintance. He was actually our very first podcast editor, James Harper. And I didn't even know until the interview that he actually knew you. Yeah, so it's just, I guess, kind of a coincidence that I also know him. But anyway, great guy. I know him too, but you're doing the interview, so let's do it. And there's no better person to introduce Akil than himself. Let's cut right to him. My name is Akil Alin, and I'm from the U.S. I was born in New York, but raised in Maryland for pretty much my whole life. I graduated from the University of Maryland, actually with a bachelor's degree in Chinese, eventually. I have been learning Chinese, actually. I've had a connection with Chinese for about 14 years now. And right now... I'm currently doing a master's program at Shanghai Jiao Tong University, and it's a master's in modern Chinese studies, but my focus is Chinese philosophy. On the side, I'm working to build a career in communication consulting. So that's me. Why did you start learning Chinese? The question of my life. <laughs> <laughs> there were a few reasons. I'll narrow it down to three that I think were the most influential. The first reason was because I, growing up, had always had an interest in anime. And for me, I thought, okay, I want to get to learning Japanese. But before I get there, I got very lucky that my high school had started to offer Chinese lessons in my sophomore year of high school. Mm. And so I said, okay, I'll start with Chinese and then eventually I'll make my way to Japanese. I underestimated the difficulty of Chinese, but... (laughs) And Japanese too, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And Japanese for that matter, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that was the first thing. I was like very interested in anime and I felt like this was my first ability to get access to East Asian culture, although I didn't think of it necessarily with those words at the time. Mm -hmm. The second big reason was because I had actually been taking French And I took French because everyone told me it was harder than Spanish. And then I was taking it and was like, okay, this is cool, but I've got the hang of it now, I feel. And then everyone said, well, Chinese is the hardest language in the world. And I said, well, they said French was pretty hard and I don't think it was that hard. So let me try (laughs) Chinese and see if it's as hard as everyone says. And it was definitely much more difficult than I thought it would be. Mm. But that was the second reason I just kind of wanted a language challenge. Mm -hmm. 
And the third reason, honestly, was just curiosity. Like I said, I'd never had an opportunity to interact with a language that was so different than English. And so I figured, well, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And then obviously if I don't like it, then I don't have to take it. I'm in high school. It's not like I have get college credits for it or anything like that. So, so this yeah, was all yeah. in high school. The, all, all these three confluences were kind of converging on you. Yeah, all in high school. I mean, my freshman year was like chill. And then sophomore year, like I said, they said, we're going to start a pilot program. And I thought, well, that sounds cool. But, you know, I, I want to test something out, right? And the Chinese and stuff. So all these things were things I was considering. Oh, also, there's one other factor that I think really kept me and got me excited. Although I don't think I considered this when I was planning to take Chinese. The year that I signed up to take Chinese actually coincided with the Beijing Olympics. And I remember that summer, 2008, watching the Beijing Olympics and being like, oh my goodness, I'm so excited for taking this Chinese class. Like I had already signed up for the class, but seeing that made me feel like I have to succeed in learning this language because this is a whole other thing that I never even imagined was going to be as big that I could have access to if I can do this well. Wow, that, that sounds like a neat experience. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about this motivation of yours. I mean, there's a lot of kids. They're required to take, you know, two years of a foreign language in high school and stuff. And it sounds like you had already taken some French. Most kids, I think, would be like, yeah, got French, good enough, right? Why did you decide, hey, I, I'll go ahead and try another language. You know, I'm going to continue studying some sort of languages. But what do you think that was for, for you? I think I really started to come into my own and try to figure out that I wanted to push my limits. So I was doing extracurriculars and whenever people told me that I couldn't do something, I was like, well, I wanna see why I can't. Mm -hmm. Because as of right now, from where I'm standing, I don't see why I can't do it. And for example, I was doing theater in the fall and then I would do track and field in the winter and the spring. And people told me that you can't do that. And I was like, why not? I have all these different interests, so why can't I do them all? And when Chinese came around, I had already been learning French for a while and I really, really liked French. I think for me, learning another language and being able to communicate in another language was like so cool because you get a chance to think differently, especially with French and English. There's a lot of connection with them, right? Like I could go back and trace some English words back to French mm -hmm. or I could understand English grammar better as I was learning through French. And so I was following these curiosities and pushing these boundaries and I was learning so much because I was just trying to do things that people were telling me that I couldn't really do. So then again, when Chinese came around, already considering actually taking Spanish mm. because my sisters were taking Spanish. Mm -hmm. But then because Chinese was new, uh, we couldn't take Latin. And again, everyone was taking Spanish. I figured, well, if I wanted to take another language anyway, Chinese is the, the next best thing. The only other option really that I had, so. Well, what is this about though? French, I'm assuming maybe, was this more than just a, a class at school? I mean, it sounds like you really did study it for a while. I mean, when did you start studying French? Yeah, it really was only a class at school. But when I was in school in Maryland, we had to actually start taking a language in our second year of middle school. Mm. So I started taking French in seventh to eighth grade and I enjoyed it. And my best friend was in my French class. A lot of my really good friends were in my French classes. And I was lucky enough to have some really good teachers who mm. just made the language fun. For me, learning a second language was easier than many other things that I was doing. Mm -hmm. It just was like you listen and then you're trying to communicate to other people. 
and you communicate to them using the words that they have just told to you, right? So I don't know, for some reason, it came a little bit easier than mm -hmm. some of the other subjects as well. And so it was a nice balance. It, when I went to French class, it was my time to hang out and play with my friends, but then also do it in a different language. And I think to me, that was also really cool. You know, like some people have their own slang that they use with other people. For me, I was like, I'm not using a slang, I'm just using another language. And I can communicate to you the same idea in English and in French. Like that is so, so mm -hmm. sick. <laughs> so when I started doing that, I think in middle school, it gave me a solid friend base and also maybe like a little bit of sense of like, this is my thing. Like I have a language that I'm good at or I'm, I'm decent at, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when I got into high school and I continued to take it, I started to become kind of that person in my class who people were like, oh, Akil is actually like pretty good at French when it comes to like studying for French or when it comes to like, if you have questions about French, you can go to him. I also started to come into my own as far as like, yeah, I feel confident with this language. And that's why I also started to search for other challenges as well. Okay, well, that's neat. Yeah. I imagine along the way that you must have had some experiences in learning Chinese. I mean, we're sitting here now and we wouldn't be doing this interview if you hadn't really continued to learn Chinese and reach some level of a fluency, you would say, right? So, I mean, was there anything you had in high school that really kind of impacted you or some memorable experience in learning Chinese? Yes, for sure. I will point to three, although two of them are connected. The first really big memorable experience that I can think of was when I had already started learning Chinese, but they had a Chinese New Year festival in the school. And they had invited a lot of the Chinese diaspora in our neighborhood to the school to come and celebrate Chinese New Year. And they had asked some of the people in our class to be volunteers. And I was like, oh my God, I get to use Chinese in the wild. And I remember, <laughs> honestly, it was one of like the coolest experiences ever because that week, we had learned directions. And so I was standing in the hallway and people were coming in and I pointed to them and I said, just those two phrases. But I was like, oh my God, I can say this way, that way, or like, you know, and point. For me, that was a huge part. I was like, I can help people to figure something out in Chinese. Mm -hmm. I think from then on, I was like, okay, cool. I want to keep doing this. So. Yeah, that first experience was like I very early on, I was able to make an impact or like use the language in a way that felt meaningful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was very, very lucky. The second two instances, the first one is actually when I was in my senior year, they brought some Chinese exchange students to the US. And then it was supposed to be a back and forth exchange. Mm -hmm. And the students had come and they were in our class and they actually did this two years. So my junior year and my senior year. But I remember specifically my senior year because we had more Chinese, like the access to the language. And so we were able to really sit and like get to know and talk with these students again in Chinese, but also in English. And I was like, yeah, man, they're just like us. Mm. I remember thinking like there was a guy whose name was Wu mm -hmm. or a Winnie, sorry, because it had Xiong in his name. And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's odd. But yeah. You know, it was like, okay, cool. I can understand. Like, and he explained to me like, oh yeah, this is why. And they explained it in English and Chinese. And then they wrote the character and I was like, oh, that's cool. So now I'm making mm -hmm. friends, you know, in a different language. Mm -hmm. So that was the other experience or the second experience. And the third experience was actually in university. So I struggled a lot in university, as I kind of alluded to earlier. I switched my majors a lot and like my grades weren't super great. 
And so I ended up going into Chinese because I was like, this is the only thing that I feel like I'm good at. But the reason I decided to for sure make the switch was because we did a three-week trip to Taiwan mm -hmm. going into my junior year. It was my first time being immersed in some sort of Chinese culture. And I remember being like, wow, the food portions are the right size for me because I don't normally <laughs> eat a lot. And like, I was like, we can have small portions and I feel full. I remember feeling like at that point in time, I could talk and like my teachers and the people around me were like, wow, you can talk in Chinese. Like you don't have necessarily a large vocabulary, but like we can talk to you, you know? And like, if we just mm -hmm. put some English in there, it's good. And I was like, wow, this is like so cool to like have, again, making connections with people, like real realistic connections that are not just reciting dialogues. And I felt like, yeah, this is something that I, I can do and is meaningful for me. So that first initial very early on contact was feeling like, wow, I can make an impact with the language. And then the second one, being able to like make friends in the language. Mm -hmm. And then the third one, being able to talk more about like life and cultural differences in the language for me was like, yeah, this is something that I, I want to hold on to. You know, that's neat. And I do know some people, it just seems like, hey, you know, it just kind of feels like maybe it comes a little easier, right? And I, I'm mm -hmm. guessing that's a little bit how it was for you. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to know, though, a little bit more about this experience you had in college, okay? Because, you know, we haven't talked about how you learn Chinese, but it sounds like you said you had a bit of that a meandering path. I mean, a lot of people can relate with that <laughs> in, in the yeah. college experience. But, and I know that some people I've talked to, they had way to art. Hey, should I really, you know, major in Chinese? Well, I don't know what I'm really going to do with that versus, you know, let's be able to do with something else and, and also continue to study Chinese. What was that factor that, that really kind of said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do this. I'm going to really you know, study Chinese. I'm going to major in this. And this is something where I maybe want to pursue, you know, some sort of career in this area. I started off as a computer engineer and I was going back and forth between computer and then electrical engineering, just dropping the comp sci. And then I thought about switching the government and was like, that's ah, really boring. And I don't really necessarily want to work for the government, like in a government institution. So when I went to visit in Taiwan, I got pretty good grades for the three-week courses that we had taken. And then my grades in Chinese were always the highest. I initially wanted to double major in computer engineering and Chinese, and they told me I couldn't do that. And you already know how I respond mm. when people tell me I can't do something. <laughs> it turns out though that they were right. And it was like very difficult to try to balance the load. So once I came back from Taiwan, I had already been thinking about switching out of engineering, but I realized that I could probably be a good engineer if I really put my head into the books and like really just grinded it out, I might be here for five years, maybe six, and I could probably become a good engineer, but I'm really good at Chinese. I think I could be a great Chinese speaker. And I don't know what that would look like as far as like career wise, but I do know that I could be really great and I can make a really good big impact if I actually commit to this path of like learning Chinese. And I was really lucky because I was, working in, we called it leadership and community service learning office. Essentially what they did was they put on leadership development programs for students all around campus. And I was really, really involved with that extracurricularly. And we had a large number of international students who were coming through our programs, many of them from business schools, but others were just from different schools and they were like trying to learn about leadership. And I was like, I love leadership. I love being able to communicate about what's different culturally and I love Chinese. What if I tried to use my Chinese to be doing like Chinese leadership development programs? 
And I was lucky enough to have like a mentor who was like, yeah, you can do that because if you go into student affairs, nobody cares what your undergraduate degree was. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, I was like, all right, perfect. Like a path has just opened up. I can focus on something that I know that I'll be great at. I can go and keep doing the things that have made me find purpose in learning this language. And I have a more clear job path. (laughs) And so my mom was happy Mm -hmm. and I was pretty happy. I didn't end up doing student affairs, but still... I think being able to find that route, that kind of clear goal was what made me feel like it was okay to switch into Chinese. How did that change of focus, I guess, and maybe having some clarity, right? How did that change your college experience? It changed it a lot because from that point on, I realized that I I wanted to spend more time getting good at speaking, (laughs) speaking Chinese in particular, because I was like, okay, once I leave here, I have to represent my school well and show that I have a bachelor's in Chinese. So I can't be bad at it. (laughs) (laughs) I actually spent a lot more time trying to converse with my roommate. Freshman year roommate was Taiwanese. And so... Oh, nice. Yeah. She grew up speaking some Chinese in the house. Between Chinese and English, we switched back and forth, but I tried to practice more Chinese with him. And then his parents were more than willing to speak Chinese with me. On weekends when we weren't busy, we would go to dim sum and I would just try speaking Chinese with them and then they would speak with me. And then, as I said, I ended up doing the study abroad program. So that Mm -hmm. was a big major shift. I stopped trying to spend as much time on engineering things and tried to focus more on getting opportunities to practice. GW does a... George Washington University? Yeah. They do a Chinese speech competition every year. Mm, And I ended up applying for that as well. And so for that, it was like prepare a speech and then answer some questions about China and so on and so forth. So I pretty much just put all my effort into, okay, making sure that I can practice and speak this language well enough that if anyone comes up and says, what do you do for university? I could say to them confidently in Chinese, like I was a Chinese major. Mm. Well, that's great. I got to hear about the speech competition. How did that go? Actually, so it went better than I thought it was going to. I actually still have the video and I watched it (laughs) recently and looking at it now, I was like, wow, that was really bad. (laughs) You're like, cringe, but. (laughs) Yes, yeah. (laughs) But for the time, it was really great. I think it was like a five minute speech that we had to do. Mm. I think there were three rounds total. So I got to the final round and in that round, like everyone gets a prize technically. So I was Mm -hmm. a bronze medalist. Hey, not bad. I didn't go above, you know, anyone else. I, I met the bare minimum to be in the final rounds. But <laughs> it was cool because they offered yeah, like a, a great scholarship experience. And stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it was also a great experience. It was my first time being questioned intensely in Chinese. And they asked us, like I said, about the speech that we gave. So I gave my speech talking about my experience in Taiwan and how it reminded me of my parents' hometown in mm-hmm. Trinidad because they're from the Caribbean. So it was like, oh, wow. Climate wise, it's very similar. And the style of the buildings felt very similar. And it was my first time being questioned in Chinese. It was my first time needing to describe buildings and things like that in Chinese. And on stage, (laughs) I became very aware of what I didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it was great. The one thing that really stood out for me there was I got to see other people. I got a much better perspective of where my Chinese actually was. Like Mm. there were some people who were very cocky and then their Chinese was not great. And there were some people who were like, just fantastic. And I was like, I'm thankfully neither one of those. 
which means that <laughs> nobody hates me, but it also means there's a lot more room for me to grow. Mm -hmm. That's great. I've always found it's like sometimes speaking Chinese in front of other people who are learning Chinese, you know, that can be intimidating. <laughs> Why is that? It's like, I think you're always comparing yourself to a degree, but I, you know, it sounds like yeah. that was a, an opportunity to really see, oh, okay, I, I, I see maybe where you're lacking a little bit, but also maybe where you could be. Exactly. And it was also like the whole competition was in Chinese. So even though we had parents, like people brought their parents and my parents and my sisters were there and none of them knew Chinese, there was no translation for them. <laughs> but it was really cool, I think, for them to see me being able to like speak in Chinese mm -hmm. and like they didn't understand what I was saying, uh, even though, I, you know, I told them what was going on and stuff. But I think yeah. for them, it was like, it was kind of affirmation that at least I chose this major and I didn't waste four years <laughs> of, of, of my time. <laughs> And I, it's one of those things too, your, your mama, you know, the very next day she's talking to her friends, he speaks fluent Chinese, right? Yes, like, yes. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, slow, <laughs> slow down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to you, fluent. To a native, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's exciting. What brought you to China? I mean, how did you end up making this leap? And, and tell me about some of these experiences you've had coming over here to China. Yeah. Oh, man. I want to preface by saying to anyone who's thinking about going to China, just do it. I tell this to all of my friends and like my nieces and nephews. I'm like, just come, you know, worst case scenario, you can go home and you will always be able to go home, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> yes, you can just go home if you don't like it, but come. For me, I had graduated and I was like, I really need to go and make sure that I have this skill. Again, I wanted to bring honor to my university and my alma mater and our Chinese program because I was really honestly quite thankful for all the professors or the mm. teachers who were there. And they spent a lot of time, not to throw shade, but to throw a little bit of shade. Like there were many people who I'd seen graduating and I was like, you're going to say that you are a Chinese major and like all of your tones and characters or your words are like not really there. And I understand that this is difficult, but like we are here to learn the language. Like we're not just here to try to imitate the language. We are here to learn how to speak and communicate in this language. I was like, I can't judge other people if I don't hold myself to that same standard. So immediately, as soon as I graduated, I was like, I need to go and make sure that I can hold my head up high and say like, I know Chinese, at least for the basics. People can say like, okay, maybe you're not HSK six or the now I guess HSK nine, you know, but you've got mm -hmm. pretty decent tones. I can tell that you put in effort to really get this down. So once I graduated, I was looking for jobs. And then I had a friend from high school who happened to have come to China two years before me. And he lived in Hefei. Mm -hmm. And there was a job there. So for people who don't know, Hefei is the capital city of Amway province. With that, I reached out to one of my professors as well and was like, hey, professor, I need a job that will get me to China. Do you know of any? And he connected me to a recruiter he knew in EF. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had these- English first. Yes, English first, yeah. And I had two options. The first one was to go to Tianjin. And the second one was to go to what was then still third tier city, Hefei, in the middle of Amway province. And- Again, my goal was to be good at Chinese because I was only planning to stay for a year, maybe two. And in Tianjin, they said, yeah, like you don't really need to have the Chinese. It's fine if you do. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to Anhui. <laughs> so mm. <laughs> I made the trip over to Anhui and yeah, it was awesome. I ended up spending three years in a private boarding school mm -hmm. and teaching English. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was still teaching English like many people were doing at that time, but it was within the IB program as well. So I was very, very lucky. I was still mm -hmm. able to like develop in a way that I could put on my 
CV or my resume if I went back home. Like, yes, I helped to start a English department in a school that was trying to become international baccalaureate certified or whatever. In addition to that awesome like educational career experience, I was able to really sit down and practice and get to learn Chinese hands-on because I was also the only person in my department who was like an expat who could speak Chinese. And so I kind of very mm-hmm. naturally became that like cultural bridge. And yeah, it gave me so many opportunities. Like, for example, there was one time when we had to really help our coworkers who weren't in our international department to understand how to teach critical thinking in the classroom, because that's what the IB is all about. And so mm-hmm. we had some of our Chinese teachers and like IB coordinator who was Chinese and she was doing some trainings in Chinese, but she said, there's too many and I don't have the time. Akil, can you help? And I worked with her and I was able to do three different trainings for like four hours in Chinese, teaching wow. some of our other teachers, yeah, about the IB. And I was like, I had to work through the translations of the IB curriculum in Chinese so I could understand how mm-hmm. to do it as well in comparing it in English and stuff. It was so cool. Who gets that experience? Like <laughs> nobody, you know, yeah. I was very, very lucky to be able to do that. And my colleagues were also very supportive because even though I was the only one who could speak Chinese to the level that I did, other expat coworkers were still like, we had one from Sweden who became one of my best friends. And like he came because he like met his wife in Sweden and he came back and married her. And then while he was like waiting to get the Mm -hmm. document, he was like working. And so then he stayed and they had a kid and then another American guy from Arkansas. And I was like, I've never met anyone from Arkansas. Like, why are you here? And he was like, why are you? And I was like, you know, fair point, you know. (laughs) But he ended up marrying one of our coworkers and then like moving back to the U.S. And he recently moved back here now. And like another Italian dude and some people from the Philippines. So it was like a very diverse team even internationally. Mm-hmm. On top of that, then we also had our other mm-hmm. coworkers who were like from Anhui. So yeah, it was an awesome experience being able to really put my Chinese skills to use in a way that was meaningful. And mm-hmm. Hefei was one of the fastest developing cities for like three years in a row. When I got there, it was like the fastest developing city in China. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That being said, it still felt like a third tier city in certain places where you go to. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. was really cool for me to be able to see how development works in real time. It was literally like one year there was no train station or like while I was there those three years, they were building train stations and I left and I went back two months later and they were like, okay, so the metro's open now. You know, and I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is a big deal. (laughs) Yeah. And there was like constant construction and stuff, you know, but like I got a chance to talk with people. I got a chance to really like, I live in Shanghai now and there are certain like Chinese customs that are observed, but not necessarily celebrated in the way that we learned about in school, for example. But like, mm-hmm. I remember in, I think it was 2018, I got to go to Bongbu, which is like a farther out city in Anhui province. My best friend in China at the time, uh, still one of my good friends, his wife was from Bongbu. And so they just said, come out for Chinese New Year. And man, it was a blast. We were setting off firecrackers. <laughs> like I was playing around with his kids. There was like little arcade game where you like have to catch the golden fish or whatever. And he was raving about it. He was like, you got to play this game. And yeah. we played that game. And we played Mahjong all day for three straight days. Yeah. <laughs> and then at night, it was just like, cool, bring out the Baijiu. And we were just knocking back shots of Baijiu. And it was like, it was a very stereotypical image of China. But like what I really appreciated more was like, I get to be a part of a big family tradition that like, mm. 
I haven't been able to replicate while I've lived here in Shanghai. So I had a very privileged opportunity then when I lived in Hefei to really like speak with people who were, they're very forward thinking. And at the same time, they still were like close enough connection to some of the other like Chinese traditions where they were like, yeah, I mean, we will go home for Chinese New Year. Even though we live in Anhui, mm-hmm. we're going to go back to like the cities that we're from. There's not Hefei, you know, and, and things like that. So you remind me a little bit there just of how in Shanghai, since it, most of the people that live in Shanghai are not from Shanghai during the Chinese New Year, everyone goes home. So it's like the big city empties out. Shanghai is a ghost town, but you go into the smaller towns and, you know, cities and, and they're, they're filling up because everyone's mm-hmm. gone home. In Shanghai, they banned fireworks. I think it was 2015 or 2016. Mm-hmm. You want to feel like it's a war zone, you know, you go to a smaller town during the Chinese New Year and, and there's fireworks going everywhere, yeah. right? Yeah. And you're seeing kids and you're seeing extended families and you're learning all the names for all the families that you like probably ignored while you were like actually studying in school. She's like, when am I ever going to meet this? And they're like, oh no, yeah. I have to use it now, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. That sounds like it was a great yeah. experience. Yeah. Why did you decide to go back to school? Because I mean, you've been working for a little while and now you decide, oh, hey, let's uh, let's go ahead and do like a, a master's degree. So tell me about that. I would say it was inevitable mm. because when I came here in China in 2016, my plan was stay here one year, maximum three years, because I wanted to go back and get a master's degree in student affairs and be working with these leadership development programs in higher education and universities. So that was my long-term goal. But after being in Hefei for three years, I realized that I liked education, but I couldn't become like a trainer like I wanted to. But because I, I didn't feel like I had had enough experience to go back to school and connect it, I was like, okay, maybe I'll stay here a little bit. Or like, it would be even cooler if I could like plant some sort of roots here, like have some sort of like business or something that I could do and say that like I was in China for this amount of time and I did a thing and then go back to the U.S. and get my degree. Mm -hmm. So I ended up moving to Shanghai to try to find some other opportunities. And after switching around a few jobs, I ended up in a public speaking and debate coaching organization where we were teaching public speaking and debate to middle and high school students. And from that point on, I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, cool. My career is pretty stable. I can save up some money. And the company was also like, if you want to go back to school, you know, we can work with you on that. Because that was a big thing for me. I was like, I do want to go back eventually and pursue a master's degree. And I saw that my supervisor, pretty much, I came in in January. In July, my supervisor left to go back and get his master's degree. Mm -hmm. And so then I was like, oh, that's sick. So like, it's a real thing that I could do. And then... For better or worse, I think now, looking back on it, definitely for better. In 2022, after the Shanghai lockdown, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. COVID had some really negative effects for many companies, many businesses. But when the Shanghai lockdown happened again in 2022, then the company that I was working with was like, hey. That was hard. Yeah. And they were like, we got to call it quits. They ended up leaving China. And with that, they were like, you can stay on for, you know, whatever or like some people were still staying and trying to continue some portion of the business. And they said, you can continue with that portion or you can, we can help you find other jobs. And for me, I was like, okay, cool. So this feels like a sign, like it's my time to go back to school. Even though I had missed the application deadline for like formal master's programs, I ended up doing just a language program instead. So I did like a one-year intensive mm-hmm. language program at Fudan, which was awesome. Like it's called the Chinese Culture and Society Program. I highly recommend it. If you have ASSK5 and above, highly recommend doing it because we were learning about modern Chinese literature, ancient Chinese literature, ancient Chinese poems, Chinese history, modern and classical Chinese history, all of it in Chinese. So 
Wow. Yeah, it was a very cool way to push myself to get back into the grind of like practicing Chinese. So what did you feel like that program gave you or what you learned that you wouldn't have otherwise or you're there in China, you've been using your language, Mm -hmm. you know, I imagine largely every day. So I mean, what did that program have to offer you that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise? That is a fantastic question. Living in China after you've learned about it is different from living in China while learning about it. I had learned a lot about China before I came here and then I connected the dots and then I was like, okay, I think I know some things about China. But once you start to experience the culture and the way that people live and the way that things change, there are many questions, at least for me, that came up and I was like, okay, this is interesting. Why does this happen? I think I understand a little bit about the history. Like I know some things. I know like Lu Xun is a famous person, you know, but like I didn't have that kind of systematic way to connect what was happening. So going back to that program really gave me context. And it was like, wow, Mm. I have a much deeper understanding now of how and why things have progressed to the way that they are. Particularly for me, the history, like being able to go back through and go from modern Chinese history, we had started with 1849, but then obviously went from all the way from all the dynasties in the beginning, you know, all the way through and just seeing that development. And I was like, okay, cool. I can understand why we got here. When we learned about literature, I was like, I didn't even know about certain modern Chinese writers besides Lu Xun. And I didn't even really know much about him. I just knew he was a figure and like he has a park in Shanghai. But yeah, so for me, it was like taking all the things that I had learned, all the things I had seen up until that time, and it gave it context. And Mm. I was able to have much more intelligent conversations as well with the people that I was meeting because I was able to say like, hey, you know, recently in class, I learned about Eileen Chang. Do you know about her? Can we have a conversation? I read one of her works and like, I thought this was really cool. And we live in Shanghai. Like, what do you think? It just added so much more depth to all of my experiences. Oh, that's really neat. Yeah. I was really privileged to be able to do that. And it also helped me when I was applying, I think, to my master's program, because for me, it was like one step to get back into learning as opposed to working regularly. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I'm focusing on Chinese philosophy. So Mm. I was able to kind of get a little bit of an introduction to some of these philosophers. And I took a Chinese philosophy class in Chinese, which was very difficult. Mm, I can imagine. But it gave me some basis for like, okay, cool. If I want to study this thing, like now I have some foundation. Mm. When I went into my interview, I was able to be like, yeah, I learned about this thing. This is kind of, I think about it. And this is why I want to contribute to this major or this field in this way if I get into the program. So it was a good transition for me. Well, that's really interesting. And so what is this right now? You're doing the, I guess, Chinese studies, Chinese philosophy, right? At Jiao Tong University. So what is that like? What are you studying? I mean, what are you learning? The way the program is set up is that the first year or the first semester, rather, we take a variety of courses spread out into across the three tracks. If I remember correctly, it's literature, history, philosophy. The last semester, we kind of like focused on taking classes in all of them. But the first year is like you complete all of your courses and then the second year is dedicated to your dissertation. So Mm. I made sure that I took one or two extra philosophy classes that were options for me. And we ended up spending a lot of time doing like one of our courses was comparative literature. And so we were comparing 20th century modern Chinese literature. But as we were going through that, Mm. we were also talking about like what was happening in other places in China, uh, in other places in the world rather, and how that influenced modern Chinese literature. We were also trying to identify like, what is modern China? Like, where does it start? What does it even mean to be Chinese? So we were dissecting a lot of these different concepts so that 
we could then be able to to build them up and give more analysis later on in our papers. In particular, in our Chinese philosophy classes, it was thankfully much more introductory, but still we got quick yet thorough run through of the major philosophies in China, Confucianism, Taoism, was it legalism? And then we also spent some time on Buddhism, but then in another one of our philosophy classes that was called moral and ethical political philosophy, we went deeper and kind of were Mm -hmm. looking at specific texts and then had to essentially say like, our professor was like, how would you defend this? For example, there was like a parable that Mencius gives, I believe it's Mencius, Mencius gives, they were like, Shun, one of the greatest, his dad was a terrible guy and killed people, but Shun would never like kill his dad or go against the law to like kill his dad. He would just step down as an emperor. And this is how you know he's a good emperor. And our professor was like, why would Confucians say that? And we kind of had to take what we understand about Confucianism mm-hmm. and try to go and reason. And then she was like, cool, here are some contradictions in Confucianism and this is one of them, you know? But so she really helped us to like broaden out and try to take the texts as not the end all be all. It's engaged critically with them essentially. So we had one class who kind of just like introduced us to the text and another class that forced us to engage a little bit more critically with them. We also had like one, not random class, but another class that was about Sinology. And it was like, this is the history of Sinology, but like, what is Sinology or what is China studies and how is it evolving? And we had another one that was like about the philosophy of technology and how the idea about technology is changing in China. So it was very diverse courses. And I think the point in this year Mm -hmm. is to get us to really theoretically analyze core concepts that are important in modern China right now. So that next year when we go and we are writing our theses, we can take that foundation and decide if we want to blow it up or if we want to go and try to build something that is more substantial based upon it. Oh, that's that's interesting. It's good to kind of hear some of that because you know, sometimes you say, oh, you know, Chinese studies. Well, what exactly is that? Mm-hmm. So thanks for shedding some light yeah, on that. It's very, very broad. Well, Akil, I, I'm also curious to hear a little bit of, you know, we've talked about, you know, a lot of your experience, you know, along the way, a bit of your travel log, if you will. I mean, you've been learning Chinese now for, you said, for I think roughly 14 years. What are some of the things along the way that you found have worked well for you versus perhaps contrasting with some other things that hadn't worked well for you in in learning the language? That's a really good question because I will be the first person to say that I am terrible when it comes to studying in the way that we are expected to study. Hmm. I never really used Enki, for example, and flashcards. I've gone back and forth with them but they were never really my friends, except for when I was cramming for subjects, for exams rather. For me, a lot of the things that worked was creating an environment where I had to interact with it all the time. So for mm-hmm. example, during the first lockdown in, in 2020, I was listening to a Chinese podcast called Gushu FM. Fantastic podcast, lots of really great stories. But it's like, even though I couldn't understand everything, I was pretty much like from the time I got home, until the time I was going to bed, the podcast was playing. Like if I was making food, the podcast was playing and I was just like, <laughs> like episodes because there's a guy, Olalinga, he was saying that there are three different layers of listening, right? And there's sometimes when you can just have things playing in the background and you will tap into it when you, it's relevant for you and you tap out of it. But even then, if it's playing in the background, you'll still have it, you know, you're still getting something. And so I was like, I'm going to make sure that this is part of my language environment. And I was constantly having podcasts or whatever in Chinese being played, I think it was like two, three months straight. And that was really useful for me. I I was surprised at what words I was picking up. And it was like words would just come to my mind Mm. in conversation. And I was like, I don't remember learning that word. 
but then I will remember, oh, I, I think I was listening to mm-hmm. it or it came up because of the story. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Creating an environment as far as like constantly having material that I can listen to. Obviously, it's better if it's mm-hmm. like material that's at your level, but even if it's a little bit higher than your level or whatever, like having it just playing in the background, you don't have to understand it, just getting the sounds. Yeah. Another thing that was really helpful for me was I have a habit of repeating things. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned earlier, I kind of have a sensitivity to language. So things, it's always interesting to me when people express themselves in extremes. So like when somebody says a word that's like, they're really angry or like they do something that's really humorous. If I hear it, I'll repeat it. And I'll repeat it over and over again in my head. And I'll say it to myself over and over again until I feel like it sounds like what I heard. So Mm. whenever I was with a coworker who said a phrase, you know, or whenever I was with a friend who said a phrase or whenever I was watching like a random YouTube video with a phrase, I didn't always worry about trying to get the whole sentence, but I tried to get like that short three to five character phrase down that I felt like, oh, this is something that I can use Mm -hmm. and like use as a joke even, right? And so that way it's like, okay, I know I'll be constantly using it. I would be repeating it to myself over and over and over and over again. And then when I finally got a chance to use it with my friends, or I would even ask them like, did you watch this show? Like, this guy said this thing and I would use the line and they'd be like, oh, that's funny, I get it. And I'm like, yes, okay, cool. (laughs) So yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was fun. So regularly just picking out phrases that I felt like were fun that I wanted to use, that I could use right away and repeating it to myself was like super useful. Oh, that's great. If there's one other thing that I think I can point to, for me, it was actually when I first started learning Chinese, I spent a lot of time listening to those recordings that came with like the Chinese books. Mm. We had to memorize obviously the dialogues, but I would put them on my MP3 player. And when I was riding on the bus to school, I'd be listening to them. And when I was running the bus home, I'd be listening to it. After like whatever sports practices, I'd just be listening to the dialogues again. And I think that really helped me get a feel for the language at an early, like an early learning stage. That's great. It sounds like those are some things that really worked yeah. out well for you. Well, what advice though would you give to someone who is learning Chinese right now or even thinking about it? If I had to give one piece of advice, I would say start small and be patient. I think a lot of students, they find that they get frustrated because I don't think that you can progress as quickly in Chinese, especially if you're a native English speaker. It's difficult to progress as quickly as you would if you were learning French or Spanish or any other like Germanic or Latin romance language, right? Mm-hmm. But the goal of learning a language, at least in my opinion, is to be able to communicate, to be able to share ideas well and effectively, to show that you respect the other person's tongue enough to try to speak it well. And that will require you to just start slow. Spend time on your tones. They are important. No matter who tells you, everyone will understand you. Spend time on your tones, right? (laughs) It's not about forcing the other person to understand you. It's about being able to communicate clearly to them in a way that makes them feel like, wow, you took the time to learn how to talk to me in my language. Like, I really appreciate that. And they will be much more willing to share so much more with you, especially if they weren't given the opportunity or, you know, they just aren't able to communicate with you in your language. So again, start slow because it's a journey, right? I've been learning Chinese for about 14 years and I'm still not nearly where I want to be but I wouldn't be here now if I hadn't spent the time on the fundamentals. I know how it is. uh, At the end of the day, you, uh, how much Chinese do you know? Just a little, (laughs) right? (laughs) I speak a little Chinese. They're like, that's how you know. (laughs) 
Well, Akil, thanks so much for sharing your insights and your time and your story with us. It's been really insightful. Thanks so much, Jared. I really appreciate the opportunity. I cannot emphasize enough how much I have been able to learn more about myself just because I was able to like pick up a Chinese book, you know, and leave the country and you know start a life here and I can go back and forth. So thanks for giving me the chance to share the story. You have been listening to the You Can Learn Chinese podcast. My name is Jared Turner, co-founder of the Mandarin Companion Graded Reader Series. My co-host is John Pazin, co-founder of Mandarin Companion, founder of All Set Learning, the Chinese Grammar Wiki, and Sindelsplace.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Take a moment to text or message this episode to a friend or share it on social media. That really helps us reach more people in their language journey. You can leave us a review or reach out to us at mannercompanion.com or find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find our Chinese Graded Reader series on Amazon, iBooks, Google Play, or wherever you get your books. Apologies to John Cena. We just ran out of time. The You Can Learn Chinese podcast is produced by myself and our editor is Jasper Chua. And a special thanks to our guest, Akil Aline. Of course, thanks to my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend, John Passon. See you next time.